We're jumping into part two of dangerous faith. And just to recap what part one was, part one was all about going through Hebrews chapter 11. as it called the Heroes of Faith chapter? And we talked about what faith is. That faith is more than just a feeling. That faith is, is, is persisting even though it gets difficult. That faith is, is obeying even though we don't fully understand it. We talked about Noah, how, how he didn't really understand what was coming, but yet by faith he went out and he built an ark. And the thing that challenged me the most about last week's message was when we talked about faith is thanking God before we've ever received anything. And that one really challenged me. I was just talking about thanking God in the midst of our difficulty. Thanking God even though right now it's terrible. Lord, I thank you. Because I know at the end of this, there's something for me. And that one really got me last week as we talked about what faith is. Well, this week we're moving into part two and, and learning about expectant faith. That a dangerous faith is an expectant faith. And our key scripture comes right here out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this right here. It says, faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of of things we cannot see. Faith assures us of things we expect. If you have an expectant faith, if, you, if you've ever expected something, man, there's an anticipation that comes with expecting something. There's always an anticipation that's wrapped up in, in an expectant kind of mentality. My kids love the summer Santa Claus and we call him the Amazon driver, right? Come on. Amazon driver is the most popular person in anybody's neighborhood. He is the millennial ice cream man. Come on. He, he is the lifeline of the outside world to an older people man. He, the Amazon man is the man, right? And my kids love him. Whenever they see an Amazon truck, like, Daddy, let's follow him. It's like, why? Why are we going to follow him? It's like, I don't know, but just see what he does. Like, he's a human, right? He's got legs, two arms, and a head, right? He's a normal-looking dude. My kids have some, some like, uh, like just this, this unreal expectation of what the Amazon man is, like what he looks like. And every time the doorbell rings, they rush the door. Is it a package? No, it's not a package. What's wrong with you? It could be a stranger who wants to kill you. It's like, what is wrong with you? Don't rush the door. We watch, we wait, right? It's, but they're so expected. Every time, every time, as soon as we get home, my son leaves the car, walks out, and runs to the front door to see if there's a package, right? And, and to see if there's a package. Why? Because he's expecting the best. He knows that he's got a dad. He's got a father and a mother that love him, right? They, they love their kids. And they know if they ever need something, that we are getting it before they even know that they need it. That we are having a pulse on their very needs. And expecting faith is just like that. Knowing that we have Daddy God, a Father that, that knows every single one of our needs and who is expecting that we're expecting him to meet those things. And there's an excitement that comes with that. They're saying, Lord, look, I know I'm going through this thing. I know I need this, Lord. I'm believing and I'm expecting by faith for you to do it. That same expectancy that every time that doorbell rings, my kids run up to it and say, Dad, is it the Amazon man? It's the same time. Every time we're going through the midst of difficulty, we need to say, Daddy God, look, man, I know I'm expecting the best from you. Lord, I'm believing, man, that you've got something set up for me on the other side of this thing. It's going to be so amazing. My breakthrough is just on the other side of this pain. And, Lord, I'm going to get through it by faith. Come on. And I, I teach my kids this. They're like, they're like, Dad, is it for me? Is it for me? Is it for me? And I'm like, man, look, come here. Come, come sit with me while we open this package. And they're so excited. They're so happy. We cut it open. It's like, all right, here we go. 
come on, let's open it up, right? And they're all excited. Okay, what is it? What is it? Right? And when we open up, it's toilet paper. And they're like, it's not fun. It's not fun. I was like, it's not fun, but it's necessary, right? You need it. We need it, right? Come on, man. It's practical. But they know. They have this expectancy that every package is going to be for them. Oh, man, that when that doorbell rings, oh, daddy's got something on the way for me, right? We need to have that kind of expectant kind of faith. We need, to be, we need to be believing God, man, by faith. That Lord, let me tell you something. Dude, I'm expecting something great for you. Lord, I'm believing something great is on the way. Lord, I'm expecting only the best for you. See, this is right here. Faith is expecting the best, right? But this is what faith is not. Faith is not simply positive thinking. Faith isn't just kind of, kind of having this, this, this overwhelming, like, hey, everything's good and everything's great and we'll get through it. That's not what faith is. Faith is looking at your problem in the face and saying, that problem, you're a big problem. You're a really big problem. But let me tell you something. My God is good. My God will supply my needs. My God is faithful. Come on, my God will get me through this. I got faith in that. We, in, our, in our growth track, we go through personality profiles, and we do the DISC profiling, D-I-C-S, right? And D is, is, is a driver, kind of, you know, you know, making things happen. I is life of the party. Everything's great. Everybody's going to have a good time. Come on, there's no problems. What problems? They just keep going, right? S's are, are, are more, you know, stable and secure, and the C's are more compartmentalized. So for an I personality like myself, man, I generally have just a good attitude. I generally, like Myrna's like, do you have bad days? I'm like, sometimes, but uh, not really, right? And so, and so I'm just, I just have a generally positive attitude. And for me to think positive isn't necessarily a hard thing to do. But let me tell you something, for my, for my D's, my S's, and my C's, that's a hard thing to do. But that's not faith. Positive thinking is not faith. Sitting at Starbucks, ignoring your problems, thinking the Lord is going to fix it all and do it all for you, that's not faith. Come on, expectant faith is knowing that even though I'm facing adversity, even though I'm knowing I'm in the midst of it all, come on, there's an anticipation that the Lord is doing something for me. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to work my way through it. I'm going to figure this thing out. And let me tell you something, I'm believing the Lord has got my back and he's walking me through this thing. And there's an expectant kind of faith. Come on, there's an, ex there, there's an action that comes with expectancy. There's an action that comes with expectancy. There, there, there's this thing, you're poised and you're ready to receive something. You're poised and ready. Man, my kids, when they know a package is coming, they're like, Daddy, can we see your phone? Can I see your phone, Daddy? Can I see your phone? I was like, for what? I want to track my package. I'm like, okay. Go ahead. Look at it. On its way. Dad, where is that? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. In the air somewhere? I don't, on its way is not a physical location within the United States, kids. That is not a place. Man, on its way, it's vague, man. I don't know. But it's like, Daddy, it's on its way. And when will it get here? And we'll look at it Thursday by 8 p.m. Oh, my gosh. They get home, and they're sitting by the door Thursday by 8 p.m. It's like, it's toilet paper. I told you. It is toilet paper. What is wrong with you? Quit waiting for this thing. But they're so expected. And we need to have that kind of expectant type faith. Come on. They're, they're, even though, man, we're going through it. Lord, you're doing something. God, you're doing something, man. Man, you're doing something. Is that word for me? That word? Oh, my God. Is that it? Is that my breakthrough? Come on. Is that it yet? Oh, man. That's, that was almost it. And having the expecting kind of faith that and when it doesn't happen for you, when that package that rings at the door isn't necessarily for you, that the next one is. Right? When that doorbell rings, man, you're expecting again. And if that one's not for you, that the next one is. That the Lord hasn't set you up for failure, but he's got you set up for success. Come on. And we need to be expecting that he has the very best for each and every one of us. Come on. Faith is this right here. Faith is a confident assurance that God is in control of the future. 
Come on, faith is the confident assurance that God is in control of the future, knowing that, man, he's got it all under control. Man, he's got it all under control. He's in control of the future. He's got it. So we can go ahead and say, you know what, Lord, look, I'm expecting the best out of this thing. I'm your child. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Oh, Lord, you've got the best for me. Come on, let's tell you something. Some of us, wouldn't, we wouldn't need faith if it wasn't for problems. Come on, if it wasn't for problems, we wouldn't need faith. It was just, without problems, there's no, there's no need for it. Come on, but with those problems, man, it shows us that there is a real need for that kind of faith. In Psalms chapter 32, verse 8, it says this right here. It says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. What God is saying here, he says, I've got a tailor-made plan for your life. That makes me excited. That makes me really excited. Because maybe you're not like me, or maybe you are. I'm short, chubby, and a lot of good looking, right? All wrapped up in this thing. And I can never, ever find pants that fit me off the rack. Never. Never. All, all of my jeans, I got to get hemmed up. I got to get taken in. Well, all of this stuff, right? And so when I read this, and the Lord says, hey, I got a tailor-made plan for your life. I got something that's custom-made for me. I got something that the Lord knows exactly what I'm predisposed to with my personality. I, I got a God that knows exactly, you know, what, what my giftings and my talents are. And you know what? He's creating. He says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. A lot of times we look at other people and say, well, I guess I got to walk it out like them. Or I, I, I got to be like them. I, I got to have a testimony that, that, that mimics them. Or only great men and women of God have, have gone through this or gone through that. Let me tell you something. The Lord has, come on, he says, the best pathway for your life. And he's guiding you through it. He's walking you through that thing. He's saying, look, man, I, I've got this whole thing set up for you. I've got this, this pathway set up for you. Man, if you would just follow me, if you would just walk with me through it. He said, hey, it's not going to be easy all the time. There's going to be parts of the road that are paved. They're going to be smooth walking. And then there's going to be other times where we've got to climb through hills. We've got to get through mountains. But let me tell you something, man, this is the best path for you. I've got it marked out for you. And he comes back and he even says, I will advise you and watch over you. He's not, he's not some God that turns you loose and says, well, good luck, man. I'll be waiting for you over here at the finish line when you make it, if you make it. No, he says, man, I will advise you. That means in the midst of it all, if you've got questions, Lord, look, man, where are you? Am I doing this right? God, ha have you forgot about me? Lord, do, do you understand where I'm at? Do you understand how hard it is right now, how difficult it is for me right now? He says that I will advise you and I'll guide you. I'm going to walk you through that thing. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to make sure that, that nothing's coming against you, man. I'm going to make sure that, that, that we're walking this thing out together. I'm not so far removed. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you feel like, Lord, where are you? God, where are you? Like, seriously, did you forget about me? Like, did you forget about me? I'm over here. I'm, I'm doing life over here. God, have you forgot about me? Where are you? I've I, I felt like that times in my life. Like, Lord, look, man, do you remember me? Do you even know who I am? How are you doing, Jesus? My name is Jonathan. Pleasure to meet you. I, I'm doing my best to serve you. I felt that way, and I felt that way. And as I read this scripture, and I read that, I said, man, the Lord will, he will guide you along the best pathway for your life. It's like, no, not only do I have a guide for what I'm going through, but he's advising me, and he's watching over me. He cares about you. He's, he's actively involved in what's happening. He's engaged to what's going on. Come on, he, he's not distracted on his phone. He's not forgetting, you know, he, he's typing off emails and doing stuff. No, man, he's actively engaged and what's going on here? 
So, man, expecting faith, man, you rest in the fact that knowing God is a tailor-made plan for your life. Come on, he, he knows what's best for you. He's advising you and he's watching over you the whole time while we walk this thing out. While we're doing this thing called life and we're doing our best to serve God in it. So why should we expect the best when so many things have gone wrong in our lives? Why in the world should we expect the best when our first marriage crumbled and we can't seem to figure out why that was? Come on, why should we expect the best when we've had the death of a child in our family? Why, why in the world should we expect the best even though we've walked through difficulty that, that you can never imagine? I've got kids that don't want to talk to me. I've got relationships that seem to just be all over the place. How in the world can I begin to expect the best when I have so many things go wrong in my life? And we see this right here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We see this really iconic story that would be quoted for for years and years to come. Most most sportscasters use this as as, as looking at an underdog fighting, come on, the the guy that's on top, the the people who seem to be outmatched and outnumbered fighting men, the the dominating team. We see the story of David and Goliath. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, Samuel is the prophet of Israel. And the Lord told him, man, Saul is no longer going to be the king of Israel, and I'm anointing somebody different. Go out and find him. So Samuel goes out, and he shows up to Jesse's house, and, and Jesse is, is, is David's dad. And, and, and he shows up at Jesse's house, and he's like, hey, Jesse, do you have any sons? And, and Jesse says, sure, I've got some sons. And he brings, he brings all of them except for his youngest son named David. His dad didn't even think to invite his son. I mean, the prophet of the nation is here. It's almost like the president is showing up to your house. You know, like the vice president is showing up, man. He's like, hey, where are your kids? He's like, well, I got, I got four kids, but I'm only going to tell three, right? The fourth one, you don't want to be really worth it, right? That's really how this is going down. And so Samuel's here, and, he, and, he, and he's praying over each one of the kids. He's like, man, none of these are it. He's like, do you have any more kids? Maybe I missed the Lord. He's like, I got one more, but he's, why would you want to meet him? He's out in the field with the sheep. He's just hanging out doing the do. He said, well, bring him forth. And when he shows up, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, don't look at the outer appearance, but look at his heart. And he says, this is going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel anoints David. And immediately after that, we go to chapter 17. Chapter 17 is the face-off between David and Goliath. David had just been anointed king in chapter 16. But he didn't go, and he didn't go to the palace. He didn't go do any of those things. David went right back to the fields. David was doing nothing in, in the sight of nobody. David was just doing the do. He just went back to work. Could you imagine that? They come up to you and say, hey, look, bro, you're going to be the next president of the United States. Go back to work. What, what are you talking about? Why, why would you do that? Hey, man, you, you just won, you know, $195 million in the Powerball, Mega Millions Powerball ball, right? He's like, you win it. Go back to work. It's like, what? Eventually, like in six years, you'll get it. Don't worry about it. Just, just go back and do, to work. It's like, what? The emotion that you would have tied to that. You know, let me tell you something. As he was leaving the field coming to his house, he's probably a little happy. <laughs> right? Go to the house. And he's leaving, going back. He said, what the heck am I doing with my life? Why am I going back to the field? I was just, I was just prophesying. I was going to be the next king. What am I doing? And in chapter 17, we see that David, that the Philistine army is lined up against the Israeli army. And for 40 days, this guy named Goliath has been terrorizing the Israelites. He would come to them, and he would wake up in the morning, stretch, walk outside of his tent, and approach the battle lines. And the Bible says that all the Israeli army would flee in fear. He would stand there, he would mock them. For 40 days, he did this back and forth. 
For 40 days he's doing this. The Bible says that he's six cubits tall, which, which comes back to nine feet tall. He's a giant man, huge guy. The, the, the head of his spear was like 25 pounds. I mean, this guy's just, just a big, big dude. So the Bible says that, that as David shows up, because his dad asked him to bring some bread to his, to his brothers, to bring him lunch pretty much, he shows up. And he hears this giant Philistine man speaking, you, you know, blasphemous against his God, mocking his God. And something in David just doesn't sit right. He's like, what's happening here? What's going on, man? And they, and they said, for 40 days, this guy's been coming out here terrorizing us. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Saul about this. Nobody's done anything. I'm, I got to go talk to Saul about this. And he goes and he approaches the king of Israel. And he talks to Saul. And when he approaches Saul, he says, why has nobody done anything to this Philistine? How has he been doing this for 40 days, mocking our God? You haven't done anything. What's going on? And Saul looks at David and he says, let me tell you something, man. You're just a youth. You're just a little boy, man. And this guy's been fighting since he was a boy. And David looks at him. David looks at him and says, Saul, let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you what I've been. You, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I've been. Come on, man, I've been in the wilderness. And while I've been watching my daddy's sheep, let me tell you what happened. This one Tuesday night, I was putting the sheep down. I put them all down for bed. I was making me dinner. I was firing up Netflix. I was about to have me a good night, man, just relax a little bit. And all of a sudden, I hear these sheep start screaming, meh, 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 and I run out there. And guess what? There's a lion. He's attacking one of them sheep. So I said, you know what, man, I got to go out there and deal with that lion. So when I grabbed that, that sheep out of that lion's mouth, and when that lion, man, when I grabbed that thing, I grabbed it by its hair. That lion turned around to come get me. Let me tell you something. I killed that thing with my bare hands. Let me tell you about this one Friday night, man. We're going to go to a bar mitzvah. I was getting ready a little bit early. I was getting ready. I was getting dressed, putting on my best yarmulke, man. I took a bath. It was awesome. And all of a sudden, man, I'm getting dressed. And I hear my sheep screaming, get mad, mad, mad. And I run out there, man, would you know what happened? Saw there was a bear. Bro, let me tell you something. That bear was getting after them sheep. I went after and I whooped that bear down. Bear hands, Saul. Let me tell you something, Saul. You don't know what I've been through in the wilderness. You don't know what God has walked me through when no one was looking. Saul, you have no idea the demons I chased off off of my marriage. Come on, somebody. Off of my finances. You have no idea the demons that I've chased out of, out of my family. And when he looks at Saul, he says, let me tell you something, man. I've got an expectant type of faith. The same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is going to deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. And Saul looks at this boy. Saul looks at this boy and he tells him, go and may the Lord be with you. See, David had developed himself when no one else was looking. In the moments when you feel like God has abandoned you and forgot about you, let me tell you something, that's your wilderness. The Lord is developing things inside of you. He's developing a dangerous type of faith inside of you when nobody's looking. Why? Because he's setting you up, man, to deliver people, hundreds and hundreds of people that are waiting on you, learning those lessons in the wilderness, developing that dangerous kind of faith. As David approached that giant, he approached him in, in what would be a little bit of an unconventional way. As David is a boy, man, doesn't know the rules of war, doesn't really know how to do things, he takes off running after this guy. And his, and his Goliath begins to, to see him. He begins to trash talk him. 
And we see David begin to come back at him, not intimidated from this giant nine-foot-tall man, but David come out of him knowing the God that's inside of him, the God that's backed him. David's got an expected kind of faith, knowing that God's going to deliver me from this guy. Man, let me tell you something. He didn't let me get, you know, get out of the, the paw of the lion for no reason. Come on, he didn't let me you know, slay a, a bear for no reason. Surely he's not going to let me fail right now. Man, the God of, of the universe is standing behind me, and I've got an expected kind of faith that he's going to deliver me from this giant nine-foot man. There's three things I want you writing down right now on expecting kind of faith, the, the, the benefits of our dangerous faith. Write these three things down. Number one is this right here. It honors God. Come on, a dangerous kind of faith honors God. As we see David approach this giant named Goliath, and Goliath tells him, man, let me tell you, something. he gets pretty, gets pretty graphic when you go read it in chapter 17. He says, I'm going to slay you down. And your carcass is going to lay out there in the wild beast. Man, the birds are going to pick out your eyes, and the beasts are going to eat your flesh. I was like, what? Man, this guy's like like awesome kind of guy, right? And David comes back at him with this right here. In verse 17, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 46, he comes back at him and says, This day the Lord will hand you over to me. He says, man, by, by faith he tells him that. Let me tell you, this day, let me tell you something, bro. The Lord's going to hand you over to me. He looks at him with a confidence knowing, why? That he's got a dangerous kind of faith. He's expecting the Lord to do something on his behalf. He's expecting the Lord. The Lord's going to show up, man. The Lord's going to do something. This is what William H. Carey said right here. He says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Come on, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Man, come on, when we begin to do this, man, a benefit of this dangerous faith is it honors God in the midst of it. It honors God in the midst of it. David runs out there with the confidence knowing, man, I've got a God who's delivered me from other things. Come on, man, he set me up for this season. He set me up for this moment. Man, I'm expecting only the best. There wasn't a moment in his mind where he saw losing as an option. He was like, there's winning or nothing else. This is it. And he runs over to him. The second thing is this right here. The three benefits of dangerous faith. It increases my abilities. Come on, a dangerous kind of faith increases my abilities. The Bible says that David runs out there. And that before he goes out to meet Goliath, he gathers five smooth stones from a brook. Five smooth stones of the brothers. For, one was for Goliath. And I believe the other four were Goliath, for Goliath's other brothers. Come on, man, David wasn't going after just slaying a giant. He was going after ending a lineage. Come on, I'm going I'm to stop all of these God haters. I'm going to make sure that none of them come back, that nobody rises up from their midst and is going to come and talk bad about my God. And he's come back and says, you know what, I'm going to end it all right here. There was a courage that rose up inside of him. Come on, it, it increased his abilities. I believe David, man, when he ran out there, he was operating fully by faith. Man, the Holy Spirit all about that boy. As he's running out there, the Bible says that he runs out there, that he runs out there and charges that man, Goliath. The third thing right here of a benefit of dangerous faith is it encourages others. It encourages others. Man, the moment David ran out there, I would imagine the whole entire Israeli army was standing up in anticipation watching this little boy run out there. Watching him go out there. And as soon as he gets out there, man, he's taking off running. They're probably saying, what the heck is he doing running at him? What's he doing? And as David was running out there, he was loading his sling. He flings a rock into that dude's forehead, knocks that guy down. Obviously, he kept going after him, kept running after him. 
She said when he got there to him, he took his sword out. He took Goliath's own sword, hacked his head off, lifted that head. And when the entire Israeli army saw that dude's head raised off that body, the whole army came out of their lines and slayed the Philistine army for miles. Let me tell you something, man. When we have that dangerous kind of faith, it encourages other people around us. Come on, when we have that dangerous kind of faith, people see that. Now, I have faith for my marriage. I know what I'm believing for. Come on, man. It encourages other people to say, you know what? Then I can believe God's going to do a miracle in my marriage. I believe God's going to do a healing in my body. It encourages other people. When we were launching our youth ministry, I was like, come on, man, we, we need a little bit of boldness within our leaders. So I talked with our outreach director, Josiah Otto, and I said, hey, Josiah, we need to go to, uh, to do some, some street ministers, some street witnesses. What do you suggest we do? And he's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, whatever you think is, is like the, the scariest, hardest thing that you do. He said, all right, we're going to go to the dart station. We're going to preach on the trains. And I said, okay, we'll go do that then. And so I said, what time do you want to go? He said, nine o'clock. In the morning? <clears throat> he said, no, 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 nine o'clock at night. If you've ever been to the dark train station at 9 o'clock at night, it's a little scary, right? You're like, well, what's happening here? It makes you glad that you drive your car. You know, just like, all right, look, hey, man, here we go. And so we get on the trains, and, uh, and we're going all throughout. And I said, Josiah, when do we get off? He says, at the end of the line. I was like, how long is that? He's like, I don't know, a couple of hours. I was like, thanks for having all the details laid out, Josiah. Come on, let's go, man. And so we get on the trains. He's like, all right, dude, this is what I'm going to do. I just want you to go sit by some people, and I'm going to start preaching. And then I just want you to ask them what they think about it. And I said, okay. So, so I'm sitting by, sitting by somebody, and Josiah just starts preaching. Hey, guys, God loves you. You know, you, they can't leave. They can't go anywhere. The train's moving. So you got a captive audience, you know what I'm saying? So, so they don't like you, whatever. They're like, all right, whatever, you know. And so we had a couple people move seats. Or and so I'm sitting next to this guy, and I said, what do you, what do you think about him? He's like, he's, he's effing crazy. And I was like, he is, a little, I guess, right? And I was like, maybe, he, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so just asking questions about him, right? And as I saw Josiah preaching, as I saw him just ministering the gospel right there, I was like, you know what, dude, that's, that's cool, man. That's cool. And then he comes up to me and says, hey, do you want to do it? I said, uh, that scares me a little bit. He said, well, come on, let's do it. I said, all right. Let me tell you something. He encouraged me. I got up there. I did that. And I said, you know what? Oh, my gosh, man, yes. And then our whole team followed. And they said, you know what? I want to do it next. It's my turn next. It's my turn. And we rode that train back and forth. It took about four hours we stayed on those trains preaching. And we saw a number of people come to know Jesus. But let me tell you something. Man, that kind of dangerous faith, it encourages other people. There's other people around you who are looking for, for somebody in their, in their workplace. Say, so, you know what, man? We're going to get together. We're going to pray before, before work starts. We're just going to get together in the break room. There's a few people who are going to pray. They're waiting on somebody to start that. They're waiting for somebody to walk in that's got a little bit of that dangerous kind of faith. And say, hey, man, you know what? I'm going to start praying in the workroom in the morning. Do you want to come hang out with me? That's what they're looking for. Come on. They're looking for people with dangerous faith. Because guess what? When you have dangerous faith, it encourages other people. It's infectious. People want to be a part of that. People want to follow that. Come on, that's what God is calling us to be. As we saw David, this underqualified boy in everybody's eyes, he faced a giant that was terrorizing an entire nation. I mean, there were, there were warriors in their ranks that were probably the special forces of what Israel had to offer. And it took a boy, as the Bible describes him, it took a boy to come up with a faith, an expecting kind of faith, knowing that God, God is not going to let me down. What are you talking God's going to do a miracle. It took somebody like that to inspire and encourage an entire nation to go out and take what was already theirs. Let me tell you something, man. Come on, when we have that kind of faith, it encourages other people around us. Well, I want you guys writing down these four secrets. There's four secrets to having an expectant kind of faith. As we see David and the life that he lived, there's four things that, that we see 
to this expectant kind of faith. The first one is this right here. It's tune into God in the morning. Tune into God in the morning. Now, I'm going to take an honest poll real quick. There's no, we're not looking, you know, we're not criticizing anybody, but just want to take an honest poll, right? Look to the person next to you. I'm about to be honest. I'm about to be honest, right? All right. How many of you guys admittedly in the morning wake up and are just grumpy people in the morning? We have any grumpy people in the morning? You just say, look, man, I'm grumpy till about 11 o'clock, right? Don't send me an email. Don't invite me to a meeting till like 11.15. And it's not even coffee that'll fix you. It's just you just wake up mad. You don't even know why. You're just like, why am I mad today, right? So raise it up again. All right, how many people, how many people are grumpy in the morning? Admittedly, it's okay, man. The first way to overcoming it is admitting you have a problem, right? So come on. All my grumpies, where are you at, man? Come on, yeah, there we go. All right, so let me ask you this second question. Just being honest, we got a lot of grumpy people in the morning, right? So let me ask you this. How many of you people, let's just say this, you people, how many of us stay up past 11 o'clock on, on, a, on, a, on a nightly basis? You stay up past 11 or p.m., right? Okay, okay, okay. All right, keep your hands up. How many of you guys sleep past or stay up past midnight? All right, a few people. God, man, there's some crazy people. All right, how many of you guys stay up past 1 a.m. consistently? Oh my gosh, what's going on? 1 a.m. is when your favorite infomercial starts, right? Come on, set it and forget it. Air fryer. He's like, man, I gotta stay awake. Instant max, one and done. All right, hold on, hold on. Hands up in the air. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., people stay up past 2? Oh my gosh. There's like three people stay up past two. This was the grumpiest one in the building. He's like, I'm so angry. He's like, don't talk to me past one. No, but come on, man. We, we wake up. Man, some of us wake up grumpy. A simple and easy way to curb that might be go to bed a little bit earlier. My wife, when, when, we go, when we go to bed, she's like, you can watch anything you want, babe. I was like, you're the best wife in the world. You are like, she's like, you just watch whatever you want. Because she knows that five minutes into it, I'm falling asleep. It don't matter what it is. I'm out, man. It's like, I've started the Batman. They put the new the, the Batman movies on Netflix. I've watched the beginning of the Batman Begins like seven times. I fall asleep. It's like, I'm just going to finish where I left off. It's like, I don't remember where I left off. I just reminded to the beginning, right? But let me tell you something, man. We need to tune into God in the morning. If we're going to have expected kind of faith, we need, we need to calibrate the day so that in the morning when we head out, man, we're expecting great, God to do great things. Come on, for, for you, you might be going to bed early. It's just a practical thing. Maybe for some of you, uh, the news is the first thing that you, that you turn on in the morning as you're getting ready. You're just watching the news, you know. And I'll tell you this, man, the news is not a positive thing. There's not positive things on the news. Why? Because negative news sells. People want to know that. People want to know the gossip of what's happening. That, that's, that's what people watch. That's what gets viewership up. We were, we were getting dressed one morning before church, and, and the news was on. I was brushing my teeth, and, uh, and my son comes in. He says, hey, Daddy, Daddy, uh, what's double homicide? Why do you want to know this question? He said, I don't know, because a lady said that there's a double homicide and they're still looking for the person. I was like, bro, what? So I explained to my six-year-old at the time what a double homicide is. I was like, man, let me tell you something. The news is not a positive thing. So some of us set our day to that. We come up and we're just like negative all of a sudden just get it on you. Ah, it gets on you. You know, maybe it's a, it's a practical thing to, to begin to tune into God in the morning. Maybe, maybe... Like I said, go to bed early, a little bit early. If you wake up grumpy, you're just like, man, get a little bit extra sleep, buy a new mattress. I don't know. But how about this? How about listen to worship music in the morning? Come on, put on some worship music. You say, well, I don't like worship music. Well, put on something else besides the news, right? Listen to classical music. The Lord can move to classical music. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, man, but, but set the day right. Come on, man. As we tune into God in the morning, if we're going to begin to expect the best, then we've got to begin to tune into God in the morning. 
Instead of, instead of when you, as soon as you wake up, opening Facebook or checking your email or, or hopping on Instagram, first thing in the morning when you wake up and look at your phone, how about you, you open the Bible app? Man, let me tell you something. The Lord has spoke so much to me through the verse of the day. I'm like, yes, you version. Thank you, Lord. Yes. I needed that, right? I'm serious, man. The Lord can speak through the verse of the day. I know you sent that out to everybody, but I feel like just for me, right? It's like, that's personalized for me. You know, I'm like, man, that's, that's my word. Yes. Screenshot that, screensaver, right? And so I'm just, I'm just saying, man, there's practical things that you can do that can begin to, to curb you, begin to tune into God in the morning, man. First thing, if we're going to have an expectant faith, tune into God in the morning. The second thing is this right here. Let's think on God's promises throughout the day. Come on, think on God's promises throughout the day. This is what it says in Psalms 1995. It says, the wicked are waiting to destroy me. Some of you guys have felt that in real time. Outside of your office, in your cubicle, outside of work trucks, like the wicked, they're out there. They're waiting to destroy me. I see you, Bill, from accounting, waiting to destroy me. Come on, how many of you guys have ever felt that? You know what I'm saying? He's like, you know that person's waiting for you to open your office door so they can come to you. <laughs> He's like, no, nah, not today, devil. Nope, <laughs> nope. But you felt that in real time. But this is what it says right here. It says, but I will ponder on your statutes. Lord, I'm going to think upon your promises. Lord, even though the wicked are waiting to destroy me. Come on, they're, they're waiting. Man, they're waiting to destroy me. I'm not going to dwell on that. How many of you guys have had those hypothetical, uh, uh, you know, conversations in your head, those hypothetical, you know, altercation? Ooh, when so-and-so comes up to me, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say that, and then I'm going to say that again, right? And all of a sudden, you work yourself up, you know, to have the, you, you have these conversations in your head that never, ever happen in life, right? You dwell on those things. Instead of that, instead of dwelling on that, how about we dwell on the statutes of God? Come on, this is what it says in, in Psalms 119, verse 11. It says, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart, so I won't send myself bankrupt. Well, what a beautiful word picture of what that is. Lord, I've put your promises inside the vault of my heart. I'm not going to let anybody rob those things from me. I'm not going to let anybody take those things from me so that I won't send myself bankrupt. Lord Jesus, no matter what I go through, how, fall I, how short I fall from your grace and from your love, how many times I miss it. Let me tell you something. I'm going to have your promises vaulted up in my heart so that I can remind myself of your promises. There's over 7,000 promises in the Bible for you. Over 7,000 promises in the Bible for you. Come on, man, we need to begin to remind ourselves of those promises that God has for us. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let's keep a firm grip on his promises. Let's keep a firm grip on his promises. Come on, I don't know if you've ever been wakeboarding or I, I, couldn't, I could never wakeboard. This chubby body couldn't get out of the water, right? But if you've ever been tubing, if you've ever been tubing, eh, hanging on for dear life, like, you don't want to let go of that thing because you just like, I don't want to fall off. That's, that's, when I, that's the vision I get when I see that. Keep a firm grip on the promises of God. Lord, I'm hanging on to that thing. Because if I let those promises go, oh my gosh. I mean, the voices in my mind are going to destroy me. That inner voice, that, 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 that negativity that I'm predisposed to is going to destroy me. God, the, the bad attitude that I'm so prone to, God, it's going to overwhelm me. Lord, I need to hang on to your promises. That your promise for me is yes and amen. And according to Jeremiah 29, 11, Lord Jesus, you have a plan and a purpose for me, not to harm me, but to prosper me. Lord, I need to dwell on those things. Lord, I, I got to hold firm to your promises. I need to hold firm to those promises that you have for me. Third thing to, to a secret to uh, expect in faith is trusting in God's love. Trusting in God's love. Knowing that he's a father who loves you, who gives good gifts 
man, who, who desires you to have the best. This is what it says in Psalms chapter 42. 11 says, but oh my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be accept, upset. Expect God to act. Expect him to act. It says, don't, don't be discouraged and don't be upset. Come on, so many times we get there. We're so discouraged. We're so angry, so mad. He said, expect God to act. He's going to do it. Expect it. Expect God to act. It's not, it's not, it's not, you know, if, it's when. When is he going to do it? I don't know, man, but I'm expecting that he's going to do it. Man, he's out of here. I don't know if you've ever been a kid or had your kid. You tell him, I'm going to check you out at lunch. I'm going to get you out of school at lunchtime. Man, as a kid, I could not wait for lunch. I was like, I'm going to be out of here. I'm leaving all you, all y'all staying here. I'm going to go get Chick-fil-A, and then I'm going to go to the zoo, and all you suckers get stuck here, right? You just, you just have that feeling. Why? Because you know you're expecting it. God, something's going to happen. I'm being delivered from this place. All y'all got to stay here, but I'm out. And that's that com- the same kind of expectancy. Come on, because he loves you. Come on, God loves you. I mean, he desires you. He doesn't, he doesn't want evil for you, but he wants the best. And knowing that, trusting his love for us, then we can begin to expect the best from him. Knowing he's a father that loves us, believers. Come on. To expect in faith is this right here. It's talking with other believers. Come on, being in relationship with other believers. Come on, small group life has been that for me. Small group life has been sometimes in my life like, the one thing I'm like, man, I cannot wait. God, I just got to text him. I just got to call my small group leader. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I just got to talk to you, man. There's been times where, where I've been in the mess, and I'm like, man, I got to call him. There's been times where it's been joyous. That's the first person I've called. In Psalms chapter 119, verse 63, it reads like this. I'm a friend and a companion of all who fear you. Lord, I'm a friend and a companion of all who fear you. And my friends are God-fearing people who fear you. I'm a companion to those people. Man, come on, we're in it together. Come on, we, we, we are all in it together. Those are the people I'm hanging out with. One of the darkest moments of me and Myrna's life was when we were full-time missionaries. We, we, we were traveling all over the place. And they invited me to come speak at a, at a conference in Minnesota. And we're up at that conference, and, and at this point in time, we were expecting our first baby. I think Myrna was three months pregnant at the time, and and so we're so excited, and, and we're getting ready. You know, there's an anticipation building up with that. And as I'm getting to Minnesota, the first night I'm there, she calls me as soon as I land. She says, hey, baby, I don't know. There's something wrong. I don't feel right. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know. I'm starting to, I'm starting to cramp a little bit. I don't feel good. And she, I said, do you think everything's okay with the baby? She says, yeah, I think everything's okay with the baby. I just don't, I just don't feel good. She calls me about an hour later. She says, baby, I don't know what's going on. But I, I, I'm still cramping. Something's, something's really wrong. Start to pray. And I said, absolutely, I'm praying. I'm praying for our, for our, our baby in the womb, an unborn baby. I'm, I'm praying for that. Throughout that day, I'm getting text messages and phone calls that I'm losing our baby, our first child. I had dreamed of doing great things for God and all this. And then the second dream is to be a dad. That's what I wanted to do. Man. I wanted to be a dad. And I'm so happy when we got the news that we... We're expecting our first baby and then told everybody and it was all over the place and everybody was excited for us. And now it seems to be that that dream is being shattered, that is being dashed. And she's texting me throughout the day and, and the, later into that evening. We lost our baby about midnight that night. She's going to the hospital. I'm crushed. I don't know what to feel. And, 
And I just, I'm numb to it all. I'm just like, what the heck? And I begin to pray to God. And I begin to say, Lord, where are you? Do you know me? Do you know who I am? Do you know what, I've, what I'm doing for you right now? I'm away from my wife because I'm teaching people your word. Like, do you, do, you know who, do you know what I'm doing? Do you know who I am? Do you know where I'm at? Do you understand what I've laid down for you? Do you understand what I'm doing for you? Do you understand what this is? I was so angry. I was so frustrated. I was so, so kind of mad at God with my emotions. And I came back to it all, and I was like, well, Lord, if I don't have you, then what the heck do I have then? I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm really frustrated at you. But I need you right now. Lord, I need you right now. There's no way I, I, I can expect anything good from you right now. I need you right now. And I begin to just ask the Lord, I don't know about you guys, my prayer time is a lot of questions to God. I'm like, God, what's going on here? And I asked him, I said, God, why do I hurt so much? I never felt this baby. I never held the baby. I never, never talked to the baby. I never looked at the baby. I never held it. None of those things. I never touched it. Nothing. The Lord spoke back to me very clearly. He says, son, you loved that baby, didn't you? I said, absolutely, Lord. I guess I did. Yeah, I did. He said, why did you love that baby? And I was like, because it's mine. It's mine. It, has, it, it was going to have my characteristics. I would be a little bit taller than me, but it was going to have my characteristics. He said, yeah, absolutely. He said, you never held that baby? I said, no. He said, you never kissed that baby? I said, no. You never looked that baby in the eyes? He said, no. He said, son, that's why I love you. He said, I've never touched you. Never looked you in the eyes, never hugged you, never kissed you. But you have all my characteristics in your mind. That's why I love you. I said, Well, Jesus, I guess that's it. We got back home. Me and Myrna cried for a little bit together. We went and we found our small group leaders who lived around the corner from us. We just walked through their house and we just cried. We didn't say anything. We didn't, we didn't really talk. There were no words really to fix that. There was nothing that they could do, but let me tell you something. Their presence was there. Come on, man. The, 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 the small group came around us man, and loved us. They spoke life into us. They told us, come on, it's going to be over. They had faith when we didn't have faith. When all the, when all the, the fears were creeping in that there's something wrong with my body, there's something wrong with her body, there's no way we'll be able to have kids. Just begin to remind us, come on, you're going to hold your babies. You're going to hold your babies. Come on, the Lord's got you. He hadn't forgot about you. Come on, he's got his promises for you. Yes and amen. Let me tell you something. Having those relationships, having the ability to talk to other believers, having those people in my lives walked us through those dark times. Let me tell you something. If we're going to have expectant kind of faith, we need to have those kind of relationships in our lives. Come on, we need to be in a conversation with those believers and say, come on, look, dude, I know it doesn't look like it right now, but God's doing something. I know it doesn't look like it's going to happen right now. I know it doesn't look like it, but let me tell you something. I've been where you're at, and God's on the other side of that thing. Come on, expect the best. Come on, man, expect the best. Even when we don't have the faith for it, we have those people in our lives who are saying, come on, man, you know what? You can expect the best. If you would stand across the sanctuary with us this morning. Just close your eyes and bow your heads as we close out our service this morning. And as we talked about that expectant kind of faith, faith that's expecting the Lord to do great things. 
When expecting kind of faith is hard sometimes when you're in the midst of difficulty. When your circumstances around you, man, they speak otherwise. It's difficult to have that kind of expected faith. But as we learn about those secrets, those principles of what that looks like, on having that kind of faith, now tuning into God's, into God in the mornings, knowing that, that come on, Lord, we're starting this day off right. Come on, as you begin to go in there and you begin to think on his promises instead of the negativity of the day, as you begin to trust in God's love, and as we have people around us who we can talk with, come on, that's how we begin to develop that expected faith. If you're in here this morning, you just be honest with yourself. You say, man, look, man, I've been in the midst of discouragement. I don't got any kind of expected faith right now. I believe the Lord wants to change that in you. He wants to stir that. He wants to take off that lens of disappointment. He wants to take off that lens of discouragement. He wants to replace it with a lens of faith. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor John, there's no way I can have expecting kind of faith in a God that I don't really even know. Then this morning, I'd like to give you the opportunity to know the God of the universe. Come on, the God that knows you, knows everything about you. Even though you say, man, look, I don't know him, I don't want to know him, he knows everything about you. And he desires a relationship with you. If you're in here this morning, you'd be honest with yourself, you'd be honest with me, and you'd be honest with God. You say, Pastor John, it's hard to have that kind of expected faith without a relationship with him. But I want to start a relationship with Jesus this morning. Then I want to pray for you. Or maybe you're here this morning, you say, man, I've had a relationship with him in the past. But we're, it's almost as if we're separated, divorced. Man, we we just don't even talk really anymore. And I want to come back to him this morning. And I want to give you that opportunity with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you be honest with yourself, you be honest with God, and you be honest with me, say, that's me, Pastor John. Please pray for me, man. I want to start a relationship with Jesus or I want to come back to him again. With no one looking around, I just want you to slip your hand up for just a moment. I want to know who I'm praying with this morning. If there's anybody in here who said, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. I see your hand. Anybody else in here who said, that's me, Pastor John. Please pray for me. I don't want to belabor the point. I see your hand in the back. I'll give you five more seconds. I see your hand. Five, four, three, two, one. You can put your hands down. This morning, let me tell you, any desire. God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed at you. He loves and he desires you. And this is the moment that he's been waiting for. In Romans, it talks about how to be saved. It says, confess with your mouth, then believe in your heart you will be saved. If you rose your hand this morning, I believe you already know 50% of that. You've already believed in your heart that you need Jesus. The second part is simply speaking it out, confessing it with your mouth. So I want to do that with you this morning. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer, starting a relationship with you and Jesus. So I want to ask everybody in the sanctuary to say this out loud with me. Let's say, Jesus, Oh, you can do better than that. See, Jesus, this morning, I give you my heart. Right now, Father, I confess all my sins, and I pray that you wash me clean. Write my name in your book of life, and right here, and right now, I promise 
to do my best to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Jesus, Lord, we love you so much, Father God. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, everybody right now, Lord, that prayed that prayer, Father God. Some of them for the first time, some of them again. Lord Jesus, Lord, feel your loving embrace right now, Father God. Lord, they know, Lord Jesus, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they're in a real and a right relationship with you, Father. Lord, that they begin to have that expected kind of faith. Father, and I thank you for my friends in here this morning, Lord Jesus, who are honest with themselves and said, Pastor Jonathan, I struggle with having that kind of expected faith. Lord Jesus, right now, Father, they, they would commit Lord Jesus, to changing that attitude, Lord Jesus. They begin to dwell on your promises, Father. They tune into you in the mornings. First thing, they'd go after you. Lord, they'd surround themselves with believers, Father God. Lord, they would learn to trust in your love. Father God, we love you so much, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us on how we get to live that out. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of these things in your holy, in your precious name.